0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio and our brand new show, which is going gangbusters. Uh, We had a lot of folks listening in last week, and a lot of folks uh, will be tuning in today, I'm sure, to Agent in Charge, and that sounds like a... uh, I don't know what it sounds like, but it's the truth, agent in charge. And uh, we have Sandy Bostic on the line with us all the way from Texas. And, uh, Sandy, glad to have you back this week.
1: Thank you. It's a beautiful day in Texas, too. Sun sun's shining first time. And we got my, my tractor delivered to the uh, to the uh, dealership to have some stuff worked on us. So we're, everything's going good. So yeah, I can't complain
0: and texas is uh my home state and it's a beautiful state and i think we've got all the foreigners we need in texas don't we
1: <laughs> you know i was reading the population this, this this morning to see what it was up to and it's i think we're almost 28 million people in texas and right. we're not quite as as, as as people heavy as uh california i think they are at 34 million but yeah no we've got a lot of folks in texas that used not used to not be here so
0: well, just as long as uh, as they don't invade my farm, that's all I care about. Uh, we've got enough pigs there as it is, and which we used not to have. We never <laughs> had wild boars or deer up in uh, the Panhandle, but we got them now, and it's we're, amazing.
1: Where you farm and, and ranch up there, I, I doubt that you're going to have neighbors. We're we're getting we we're, we're over by and and uh, we're, there are subdivisions popping up everywhere around us now, and where it used to be, you know, hay fields, cotton fields, now they're subdivisions. So I guess <laughs> for some people that's good, you know, but I, I kind of miss the old Texas, but, you know, we're not going anywhere.
0: Well, so. I tell you what I like that's popping up around us, but unfortunately they're all a mile away, but they're uh, hammerjacks. And uh, I wish one, one or two would pop up on our property. <laughs>
1: I wouldn't mind that either. That would that would I've I, I never had money for nothing, but I sure think that it would be, it'd be nice at some point.
0: You know. So. Oh yeah. Well, right now, uh, in fact, that's what we're going to talk about is uh, oil prices, which have uh, tanked, as some folks know that keep up with it, and uh, part of the reason that uh, our prices have tanked. And hopefully, uh, Sandy, you can shed some light on what Russia and Saudi Arabia are doing in their battle and uh, where Russia might want to go with this to uh, get the United States out of the oil business.
1: You know, and uh, I don't think so much that Russia wants us out of the oil business because the majority of people, companies that are, are uh, in Russia right now uh, – Producing, drilling, and and uh, you know, doing the uh, the whole uh, transporting all uh, the natural gas are American companies, and so it's one of those things. You know, I know that there and I. Yes, forgive me. I, I don't. I can't remember the exact reason that the uh, United States put chain, uh, sanctions on Russia recently about their uh, business with Venezuela. But I know that was the trigger. And uh, but at the same time, here's the thing about Russia that. Uh, they're, they have the Russian population is I think around 140 million people, maybe a little bit more, 145 million pro- approximately. They in uh, a different subject we can talk about their their population is actually declining every year. But uh, but the uh, for example, we're talking about Texas. Uh, the population here is uh, I think we said is around close to 28 million people. Now the interesting thing is that. Financially speaking, okay, economically speaking, Texas and Russia have about the same uh, GDP, a gross national product, as you want to call it. Uh, in other words, they both have they both generate about the same amount of income as the other one does. Now, you look at it and you say, okay, well, yes, you know, the, the, there's there's more there's more money for the the people in Texas. Yes, of course. And so, what the you know, per capita, Texans are making more money than your average average Russian will, because they don't. The think about Russia is, is they have uh, they have a lot of issues in business, and uh, and I know that that's one thing that the uh, President Putin has been working on for years is trying to get the corruption out of all the different aspects. Even though he's accused of being a corrupt person, he maybe I don't know if he is or isn't, but you know he has worked to try to get the corruption out of business in Russia. And to get to the point where they can at least, you know, put a uh, an automobile on the international market that will be competitive with, in quality and price with a uh, say an American made or a European made vehicle, they can't do that yet. You know. And so, uh,
0: you're talking about getting uh, or Putin wanting to get uh, corruption out of business. Uh, I heard today that he is getting it passed where he can serve three more terms.
1: He he does like power and, and you know, <laughs> and there are several spect- there's several thoughts on that and, and I have a real good friend uh his name's dr. Nick he's up in uh Fort Worth and we work together at open russia and uh he spent a lot of years with the state department and uh in, at some point i would definitely want to get him on because he can put a shed a lot more light on personalities and and uh why different people do different things you know he and I talk on a real real regular basis and uh but to think about, you know, with, with Putin, in my opinion, two things. I mean, when the Soviet Union fell, believe it or not, I mean, people don't like to say this, you know, for a lot of years, he was good for Russia because he gave them stability. I mean, when the, when the, when the, everything fell and everything was going to pieces, there was no money, you know, they had a, a central figure that kept them on track. And like I say, like we talked about last show, their their standard of living is much higher now than, of course, it was back not even, uh, of course, of course, more so than during the Soviet Union. But after the fall, even for for ten years, I mean, he managed to get things going and, and get people working and and putting projects together and getting their economy going. And so, but on the on the flip side, you know, just my personal opinion that one of the reasons he probably wants to stay in power. I mean, it, it's, it's it's a hell of a job. You know, I just is being the president of any country is just a, a job that. that most people can't even imagine. But, uh, I mean, the safety issue. I mean, the thing is, I mean, the man knows a lot of stuff, you know. And if, as long as he's in control, I mean, he's a relatively safe guy. When he's when there's no longer loyalty to him, I mean, then, you know, for his own personal safety, I'm sure, you know, he doesn't know what would happen if another person ever took out of power. So that's just my personal thought on that. I, I may be totally off. But, yes, he is trying to extend his uh, – his time in office, and I he's—I know he's getting close to seventy now. Mm. And so uh, you know he's in good health. Though. I mean, he's a—he's a—he's a physical fitness fanatic, and, and it's, <laughs> he's, his diet is—it's is, uh, very regimented, and, and he could actually live out those years. But you know, like I say, let's see how it works out. I think mean, I know that there, there is a certain point where the Russian people won't tolerate an, an oligarch we're in country that much longer, because the rest of the world is turning from that type of a government. And well, uh, so, you know, but it, it's like I say, their situation there is different. They're, they're still really an evolving economy. And so let's we'll see how it works. It'll be interesting.
0: Were you, were you there at all when Gorbachev was?
1: I was not, no, no.
0: And so, after, time, yeah. after Gorbachev was the wide haired vodka-drinking dude that, I can't think of his name. It started with a B. Brezhnev. Who was that?
1: Brezhnev. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Okay. So he was after Gorbachev, right? Right. And then Putin. And it right. was it was basically no,
1: no. There, there was actually there was a uh, Medvedev was between uh, between them. There was the, uh, he was the president. He I believe he's still the prime minister of Russia right now as well. Medvedev <laughs> was before Putin,
0: which is sort he of he was a, the president
1: uh, when I when, when I arrived in Russia and then shortly after I was there, uh, Putin was uh, elected to his, his next term. By Russian law right now, the president is elected for six years. He can serve two consecutive terms, 12 years. And after that, there has to he has to leave office. And then, uh, and in this case, Putin became the prime minister. And once there's a term that goes between it, then he can rerun and, and, run another 12, and be in office another 12 years. And so...
0: And... Uh I remember the guy, Brezhnev lost it almost to a coup, didn't he?
1: You know, I have to. Go, I don't want to give you fake news. I have to go back and read and just yeah. make sure I had all. Uh, I'll go back and
0: check that. No, that, okay. that's it's okay. okay. Just, I yeah. was just thinking that that was he uh, finally <laughs> overdrink one night or something. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but um, so what do you? So you. What do you think of this oil deal between uh, well, oil and, and uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia?
1: Well, kind of the way I, I say the thing is when the, when the, you hear on the news that, that Putin is trying to put the American fractures out of business, you know, that's, uh, that's not really his intent. That may be the way that the media is looking at it, but Russia really doesn't have the ability to do that. Because as of yesterday, I haven't looked today, but the, uh, you know, like I say, the reverse natural product is about the same as Texas that, and Texas is one of 50 states Okay, so there's a lot of money, we have a lot more capital associated with the United States than, than Russia does and the, uh, when I was in Russia, the ruble used to, used to uh, fluctuate between 30 to 40 cents on the dollar I looked at it yesterday it was 0. 0.013 cents to the dollar so that said, you know, the thing is he can't, he can't outlast us. In other words, the, the American oil industry can outlast him because they have the money. He doesn't. But the thing is, it can cause problems, especially in an election year, and uh, where, uh, you know, where he wants to put pressure back on this current administration and, and hopefully get them to come to the table, release some of, you back off some of these uh, sanctions they are put against them and try to work out a deal. And so, it, it, basically, they're playing poker right now. And uh, now how, exactly how much capital they have that they can they can how, how long can they go before they go into a complete recession? I don't know. That'd be up to an economist to uh, give you an evaluation on that. But the thing is, in the, of course, in the long run, I mean, we're in a political year, and as uh, people start losing jobs, I was talking to a friend of mine last night. They uh, they're in Brady, Texas. Uh, he works with a company called they used to be called Low Craft. And he said this you know, they build oil fuel equipment. He said already. He said uh, he said since this drop of uh, price of oil, he said that that they're having to start shutting down assembly lines and they're trying to the contracts have just come to a stop. So the short term, I mean if if uh, I mean yes, it is gonna hurt the, the uh, US uh, oil industry and which will, if you don't know here in Texas, when the when the oil industry goes down, well, our general economy goes down as well. But it's so oil, but also oil based, or was. It's, it's more diversified now than it was 30 years ago. But what you're what you're going to see is just see who's who's the stronger. Like I say, cause the President Trump has the pressure of a uh, of a uh, an election re-election coming up, and uh, and Putin's going to have the, the problem of uh, the economic stress on his country. And so we'll see who 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 who. who We'll see who folds first. And but the, but the thing is, I mean, the, usually the guy, you know, a, you know, a good poker game, the guy that has the most chips at the end of the game is the one who wins. And so, you know, we have a lot of chips right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have more chips than the Russian town. And so, I, I'm uh, not but sure, anyways, but what
0: he, uh, we have a better poker player too.
1: Yeah, he's good. I mean, he's. Uh, I, would, I would hate to play poker with with uh, with President Trump. Uh, you know, he, he can run a bluff. I, I, I don't know if he plays poker. But if he ever figured out, he is extremely, whether you like him or not, he's an extremely intelligent guy, and uh, and uh, he'll work his way through this. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's 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 done it time and time again the last four years, and, and this is really not a, a big issue to him. And so, well, but, you, you know, know this there, is this
0: is more life. in his ball game too. When it's a when it's a product or issue of product like oil, uh, this is more his cup of tea than. Uh, Say dynamite or uh, ballistic missiles. And, uh,
1: well, that's the problem with with the, with the Russian economy is that they're not diversified enough. I mean, you know, the uh, thirty—I think thirty or forty percent of their uh, of their gross national product comes from uh, uh, oil. The other uh, large percent of it then comes from other uh, raw uh, materials, uh, lumber. Of course, Siberia has lots of uh, lots of timber on it. And, uh, and then military uh, hardware cells, and that's pretty much it. I mean, like I said, they don't, they don't produce a, uh, an automobile. They don't produce a lot of steel. I mean, stuff that we look at as, as modern industry, they don't do. And so, uh, you know, that's the problem that he's going to have is that uh, lack of diversity in their country. And, and really, that's what we talked about in the last program. You know, he would like, I'm sure, to get a better relationship with the United States so he can bring more American business in there and diversify his economy. I mean that's just common sense and, and I'm sure but, but at the same time it's, it's always a poker it's always a it's always a uh, a stare down conversation between the, the big boys and so we're just gonna see who can laugh so well out on this one, you know. So <laughs> Now in, interesting thing too, you know, okay and, and and Paula, my wife looked this up yesterday. Um in order for Russia to uh, be able to uh, maintain their budget, their government budget, and, and be able to run their country, they they have to sell oil at uh, forty dollars a barrel, which means they must have free flowing wells. It's easier to produce well oil. Natural gas in Russia than that in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has to have eighty dollars a barrel wow. to be able to break even and be able to support their country. Well, I think that, a... no, that that that, that sounds kind of high eighty dollars a barrel. But 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 I know that that the wells in Saudi Arabia are deeper, and it is. But the, of course, their production has been in place for a lot of years, and so. But yeah, so in other words, Russia can the advantage they have over Saudi Arabia is that they can produce oil cheaper and be able to still produce a profit. In other words, there's not as many uh, wheels and gears in their their, uh, production that the Saudis have. And so so that that kind of puts him probably in a better place. He can't probably produce as much oil as the Saudis can, but he can definitely produce it cheaper.
0: Well, we got – I just checked literally while you were talking. uh, We're at $33 a barrel here in the United States, which – we can make money at sixty, but we can't. We're losing money at uh, in the thirties, and uh, so it's really? okay. it's uh, yeah. taking its toll on some of us, and will take its toll depending on how long this lasts. And you know, and I, I, I haven't figured out this uh, coronavirus thing and why it's affecting or why it has blown up in uh, Trump's face either and uh, you know one of the fake news services was talking about well you know, Russia's going to take advantage of it and all this kind of stuff well you know like you said it may hurt us for a little while but it ain't, ain't going to continue to hurt us we're just too big and too powerful
1: yeah and, and, and like and people who are invested in the stock market right now I mean, you're really at a point now I mean if you didn't sell out, you probably made a wise choice. It's too late to sell out now. Just my opinion. Okay? I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to be giving financial advice to anyone except for myself. But, but, uh, but really, I mean, uh, in my personal opinion, if you just hang in there, it's going to come back. Oh, yeah. The economy is economy's too good. Everything's going to come back. And what, what, my biggest concern about this coronavirus is, is that it has showed, it has shown, you know, today's adults today's society especially in, in not just in America but throughout the world is how fast panic sits in because you know this is not in my opinion I know the World Health Organization just they said it is a pandemic but you know I've used this uh, uh, example several times in the last few days when I was a kid my dad worked for Halliburton. we lived in North Africa and lived in Libya and there was a cholera outbreak that uh, swept through the country for our second year there. And uh, and it killed close, they think. I mean, there's really not a number on this. It's just an estimate back then. This was back in the early 70s. Two million people. And so, to me, that's a pandemic. And I just remember seeing as a kid, oh, yeah. you know, down in the uh, little shanty towns down by the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea, the trucks pulling down there and just loading the bodies up. And yep. so we're not anywhere near that way, in that condition right now, thank goodness. And, of course, there's a lot of a lot more details, a lot more information involved with in Corona, but uh, I just don't see it. To me, it's not a panic situation.
0: Okay, i know. I got to ask you, I had uh, one of our hosts that, uh, he wasn't a sailor, but he came in cussing like one the other day, and, uh, <laughs> Well, actually, it was Air Force, but I guess they they might use a few words themselves. But anyway, and and I thought, well, I'll I'll ask, you know, if if, and I don't think this uh, will pull you out of line, Sandy. But um, as you know, CDC's here, and uh, President Trump came down the other day and went to the CDC, uh, showing his concern and yada da 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 about the uh, coronavirus and so forth. Right and. I I, I got to admit, I agree that uh, he, he flies in, or any of the presidents have flown into Dobbins, which is just outside, just north of Atlanta, and then you might as well just say, forget Atlanta until tomorrow, because the motorcade comes down 85 from uh, Dobbins Air Force Base, and then goes wherever the president wants to go. And he right. did it the other day, right in the heart of rush hour, and he screwed things <laughs> up. People that normally get home in an hour, it was taking them four and five hours to get home. And he, you know, didn't.
1: I, I was in that same situation years ago when I was in Baltimore because we were close to D.C. And yes, every time the uh, the president, you know, made a run around the Beltway or wherever, I mean, because you we, know, Baltimore and D.C. are practically. They're very close to each other, and uh, yeah, that no, no, we used to have that problem there. Not all the time, but more than we like.
0: So, sure. so who who can the, why you know? Well, one question was asked. Okay, he flies into Dobbin, He has Air Force or Marine One with him. Why couldn't he take a chopper to the CDC? They, I'm sure they have a landing pad at the CDC, but he didn't, and I I can't say that Marine One was there. I don't know, but. At the same token, why would they arrange it? Why not come in at some – why at rush hour? Can't somebody plan ahead and come in at, during the middle of the day or noon or, or sometime that it's not the worst time in the world to uh, to jam up traffic?
1: Well, you know, uh, like I, we had talked about last program, that uh, I initially started out as a customs agent. those was under the Treasury Department. And uh that included the Secret Service, IRS. And I left off ATF. Sorry guys, I didn't mean to leave you off. it was first first show jitters. <laughs> and uh but uh anyhow, but so we would during election years they would farm out and they still do with HSI. National formation of homeland security, they'd farm those out to the secret service to help them out during election years as far as diplomatic security and, and with all the different candidates and all and so I'm not a, you know, I went through some of their training, and so, to answer your question, what I would assume the problem was, because number one, is when you move the president, I mean, it's, it's not something that you just get up and do the next day. And uh, but it takes days and sometimes, you know, weeks to get all these things planned out and be able to secure an area so that, that there, you don't have any snipers, uh, bombs, uh, I mean, it, it's, 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 there's a whole, that's a whole program into itself is how the Secret Service secures an area for, for protect protectee as they call it. And, uh, but I would assume in this in this situation, just looking at it, just looking at it from, from face value, that they probably had a, had a uh, uh, airspace security problem. The President's not going to fly anywhere that they can't 110% ensure the fact that, that no one's going to shoot the, his, his helicopter down, his airplane down, and uh, so I would assume it is safer in situations. A lot of times, to move the president on the ground, and mm. so obviously, and that's all weighed out. That's what the Secret Service say. You know, they they uh, study this stuff. They they have it down. They are they are really good at what they do. And uh, so I would. They had an airspace security problem. I would imagine, and that's why they ended up having to go to ground. And two, you know, this coronavirus uh, situation has blown up over the last two weeks. Now, if they had had a month or so to get everything prepared and secure that airspace, secure all the buildings around there. Then they probably would have flown him in. But under the circumstances, they uh, whoever the agent in charge of that detail was, I'm sure they decided it was safest with all the mitigating factors to move him off the ground.
0: Take the beast, as they say, huh?
1: That's a that's a cool car. I never got. I always wanted to ride in that thing. I never got. I never had my opportunity. I've ridden a lot of armored cars, armored vehicles. But never the coolest with that one. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, run for president.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. We'll see. I don't, we'll see how that works out. I, I don't think I'm. I mean, I'll be presidential material. You know, I, I would. Uh, I would have. I have a tendency to call things like they really are. I'm, sometimes I'm not as polished as I should be. So.
0: Well, it. Uh, you know, and I told the, the guy that was. Uh, Grapping the loudest, I said, "You know, we don't know the rest of the story, and just like you said, it may have been uh, air restrictions or or who knows." And I I it wasn't a last minute thing, but it was a fairly close to a last minute thing, and uh, it does take preparation, and somebody has to call the shots, and and uh, the Secret Service has only been wrong twice, so I'm sure they didn't want to <laughs> be wrong the third time. Anyway, with that being you know, said, it, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, i just, got, just, just give you an interesting story right quick. Sure. Uh, it, 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 if we're not going to commercial, uh, when I was, I hadn't been in Russia very long, and uh, summer, it was real nice. And I think my my brother, I can't remember if my brother was with me at the time or not. I had my brother, Wayne, uh, visited me once for a couple weeks. But I think it was just it was my wife and and, uh, and one of my, uh, if we call them FSNs, Nick. Was uh was driving for us, and and uh, we're going to look at some things in town, and and then they at the time we were getting close to the embassy, they uh, they were moving uh, President Putin, and so it was the uh, of course Moscow traffic at the time I was there was the fourth the worst traffic in in the world, is what they were rated, <laughs> and uh, so uh, we they shut traffic down, like you said. I know we sat there for at least an hour and uh and when the uh because the, the u s embassy is right close to what they call the uh, uh, uh the, the, the Russians said uh, the, the domo and uh they uh when the motorcade finally went by us so and they finally pulled out I mean they were going at least eighty to ninety miles an hour minimum. Wow. I mean they were moving fast and uh but it shut down the city like you talked about for hours and so shortly after that that was the last time I understand except on certain occasions they out for that they they secured all their airspace and the areas there in Moscow But whenever he had to move they, he goes by helicopter now huh. because it was such a disruption to the city I, I got to see that probably one of the last times that, that they moved in in that type of a fashion and so uh, but yeah I know it's uh I know the frustration is that, that this tough so anyway
0: interesting so do they uh, well another question I'd like to ask because I I haven't been and I doubt that I'll ever have the opportunity to go to Moscow Um, what would be the chances of having a show like this in Moscow
1: you know it wouldn't be that difficult I don't think Uh, the problem is now well I say that You, you mean someone doing this from the Russian side right yeah
0: yeah right sure
1: oh well now here's the thing now of course you know the uh, the media is still state run, and uh, in Russia, and uh, so all the media outlets, you know, they have to be they're, they're screened through the government, and so you know, they they're they're better now at reporting news than they had in the past because the internet has made them had to be The internet has made everybody supposedly you know you, you're, you're held more accountable for facts. And so, therefore, the you know the Russian news is more factual now than it was, I'm sure, twenty or thirty years ago, because it's just you, know, you can fact check anything online; just go Google it. And uh, so, uh, but it would it would it would be difficult in that you know it would be very scrutinized by the government because they would consider anything that. Number seven, one like you know the same issue I have here. I mean, there's certain information that I can never talk about, sure. you know, and so but so but they would be looking at that in the same way, and their their level of classification is, in many cases is, is higher than ours, and uh, like say they uh, they don't let me secrets out, and they don't, and, and they would also look at you know uh, any type of political uh, conflict, uh, you know, arguments uh, contrary to the person. Sitting in the Kremlin, uh, the you know, the, the, it's very possible that's a as a potential to start a coup, a uh, disruption in the government. So it'd be very scrutinized. It'd be a lot more scrutinized than we are. That's one thing about America. I mean, I mean, that First Amendment's great. I mean, you know, as long as you don't go outside of what you, you know you've agreed to. Well, you only, know, as far as information goes.
0: It, it, it you not know. The First Amendment doesn't apply to uh, Schumer. <laughs>
1: Well, he's, actually, he's lucky that it does.
0: <laughs> anyway, with that being said, I guess I shouldn't make my plans to open up the, my second location in Moscow.
1: Yeah, well, you know, now, an interesting place, I mean, if you went down into Central Asia, like I say, they they have a lot more latitude there. I mean, everybody has their own government now, even though they are, you know, they were, of course, they were under, uh, most of those countries were under the Soviet Union and, and so they're structured a lot alike, as far as, especially law enforcement, the court systems and the governments and all. And uh, But there's a lot more freedom in most of those countries. And, uh, you know, they, uh, you would have a better shot at Kazakhstan or Kyrgyzstan, places like that, if you really wanted to put a show in that part of the world that <laughs> could bring more things to light. You'd have, you'd, you'd have more freedom, possibly, to, to get the word out. Okay. Now, Latvia, Lithuania, great places. I used to work with those guys a lot. And they would love to have a show like this there.
0: Okay, we're talking to Sandy Bostick, agent in charge, particularly at America's Web Radio. We'll be back with Sandy and more about Moscow and many other things right after a couple of messages. Stay tuned. Quick Stakes, that's My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the healing wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org
2: perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction if not So call seven seven zero six nine six nine eight six two and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
1: Whether well, cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from eight to nine AM on America's
0: You're
1: listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: And we do always thank you for listening and uh, want to to uh, let you know how much we appreciate you listening and making America's Web Radio your choice, be it an archive or as you're listening right now with um, our agent in charge. And if you have questions or you'd like to uh, ask any of our hosts anything, just uh, contact us. You can send it to me or you can send it to. Um, Sandy at americaswebradio.com and we'll forward forward it automatically to him or any of our hosts and uh, we love to hear from you even if you're down under and we hear from uh, Matt uh, Beaumont I believe is his name in um, Australia frequently he's he's a classic car lover and uh, he exchanges we exchange um, information and ideas and all sorts of things with um, Matt down in down under, as a matter of fact. So, if no matter where you are, wherever you're listening, we have a lot of people that are listening in the UK, a lot of people that listen to us from Canada and and Germany, where my son is. So, if you if you're a veteran, or if you're just interested in one of our subjects and want to ask, uh, if you want to ask Sandy something, don't hesitate to. Uh, sandy at america's web radio or david at america's web radio and we'll see that you get an answer and it can be as quickly as next week if not before so let us hear from you let us know how you like the show and uh i'm running out of questions for sandy so uh you can ask him and uh if he can answer it he'll answer it so uh i think we'll have a we're we're sort of talking russia and uh and what their economy is like. Uh, how was it when uh, you would, uh, and if this is going out of bounds, you'd get paid, how would you go cash your check? Or was it already put uh, into Russian uh, rubles or whatever?
1: No, I was paid. My, my paycheck ever since I went to work for the government has always been direct deposits straight from Washington, D.C. Actually, believe it or not, our money, the agency I work for, was, somehow write it through the Department of Agriculture, USDA, and uh, it, would, it would deposit straight in dollars, no matter where I was in the world, right to my account. So I appreciate that, taxpayers. I really appreciate all those paychecks you gave me all those years. So, uh, but, uh, you know, something I wanted to, I do want to plug. I picked this up a while ago you know, in my living room, and, and this is a book. I mean, as I, as I've always said the thing is the difference between people asking, what's the difference between Homeland Security investigations and the FBI? And I just told him, I said, well, I said, uh, the uh, uh, FBI makes really great movies, you know, and we, we used to make really great cases. And so, unfortunately, we never had the, uh, the FBI is the, uh, the pro at public relations. I mean, they get the message out, but we always had trouble with that. And so there's a book, it's out now, and you get this on Amazon or you go through any number of different uh, uh, outlets, but it's called Operation Shakespeare, Operation Shakespeare. And it's written by a guy by the name of John Shipman, and it's real interesting. And it, uh, it, it, it kind of explains what I did the, the second half of my career. And so, you know, like I said, the first part of my career was mostly counter narcotics, and the second part was uh, national security type of uh, cases and, and working with foreign governments to, uh, you know, mostly targeting uh, uh, organized crime, international organized crime. But anyway, so but like this is a really good book, it talks about. The sting operations that they do. I know quite a few people in this book, and my old operation that I used to work under was called Operation Raven. They're not mentioned in here, or they may be at some point, I can't remember, but we were the oldest undercover operation in the U.S. Customs Service that carried over to Homeland Security investigations. So, yeah, so Mr. Schiffman does a great job of putting this together. It's not like reading a textbook, he really puts uh, the, uh, the, the 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 thought the characters in there they're 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 real people they're not characters but they uh, you know he, he makes them uh, very human and uh, you know talks about background so and most these guys I think are retired now but yeah so if you want to see what your money pays for for Homeland Security investigations to do internationally. It's a really good book to read, Operation Shakespeare.
0: Hmm. And, well, now, uh, but, you know, Homeland Security is really relatively new, comparatively speaking. Uh, it didn't start until after 9-11, right? 2003. I
1: believe i remember right. It was 2003 that they actually uh, came up. That We talked about where they combined immigration uh, and uh, U.S. Customs investigations, the uh, 1811 series uh, detectives. Uh, were put together and formed Homeland Security Investigations. Uh, you know, I get a lot of questions, uh, and that included, you know, not only, we did, we worked with customs, we didn't work anything immigration. We we only had U.S. Customs agent, or officer uh, authority. And so, we could do border searches. Uh, we uh, were uh, grandfathered in under DEA on, on Title 21, which is the uh, which is the narcotics uh, uh, US code that we would work under mostly when I was on the border. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, we had a lot of authority, but we didn't have immigration authority. When we formed Homeland Security uh, 2003 and they put everybody together, well then we cross designated uh, agents that came over from immigration. They ended up with, with the Custom Search Authority and we ended up with the Immigration Authority. I, people ask me a lot I get a lot of questions About immigration And I hate to say this I'm really not I don't know A, a whole lot about immigration Because I was a former Customs agent And I was always Put into positions Where my expertise Was, was best put to use And so I didn't really deal A lot with immigration My, my old supervisor now, A guy by the name Elaine Horger A good good friend of mine uh, He came over From the immigration Side of the house And uh, he, was, he was Really sharp on immigration And so You know Oh, through time now. I mean, like I say, most of those old dinosaurs are gone now. <laughs> Lane's been retired for a number of years. And, and so the new agent that's coming out is, uh, I mean, they're a lot sharper than, than we were because, you know, we stayed to pretty much, I pretty much stayed on the same side of the house I started with. I didn't do much different, you know, from day one that I did from the day I retired. And, uh, but so, you know, my if, my immigration is a real complex uh uh, system unto itself as far as the courts go, and more so than than just working the Title Twenty One on drug and and, uh, and and also you know weapons smuggling cases. Well. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not a real pro in that, but like I say if I do get questions, I know people who are, and I can get you answers. <laughs> you
2: know, I, I,
0: I'm I'm sitting here laughing, thinking of an experience I had. Uh, I, owner, I was president of a corporation, and uh, I was sitting at my president's desk, minding my own business, I might add, and these two big suckers came into my office, and they showed me their badges. And I thought, oh, dear. What, you know, I didn't... I thought I stopped at all the red lights, but they weren't uh, red light cops. They were immigration people. And, uh, Uh and, you know, I, I... being from Texas, I knew you, you don't you don't import anything in Texas. We grow it or make it ourselves. We don't import it. But anyway, I'd been at a trade show, and uh, for this business that I was running, and um, bought some things, and uh, from Canada, and uh, uh, they were sort of they were a big. They looked like a big megaphone. Is what they looked like, but they were they were supposed to be for. Uh, You'd put your garbage in them, and they would turn that into, because they got hot and stuff, they'd turn it into good mulch and all this kind of stuff. And um, anyway, so I knew nothing about importing, you know, rice from China or anyplace else. So I, I get an a immigration broker or whatever, uh, import broker, I'm sorry, import broker, and Oh, yeah, yeah, we're taking care of everything. Just send us a check for the other you know. And so I paid the guy and uh, checked with the company in uh, Canada that I was buying the stuff from. And, um, oh, yeah, yeah, we shipped it out. Yeah. So anyway, these two big guys, immigration cops come in, flash their badge and say, we understand that you imported some stuff from Canada. And I said, yeah, and, you know, the import broker, I thought, took care of everything, and we paid for it, and yada, da, da, da. So, well, we want to look at it. And we went, we go back in my warehouse, and uh, there, the, there they are, sitting there. Haven't sold very many of them, so they're all there, basically. And um, the, bro- the the import broker, which I blamed everybody, the people I was buying the stuff from and the import broker, Nobody ever told me that you had to put Made in Canada on that stuff. <laughs> and I i thought they were bringing out the news.
1: So what happened? Did they they—they uh, they give you a penalty or just a slap on the wrist and put, they put some stickers on them?
0: Well, they, they gave me a slap on the wrist and said, before we come back, I would suggest you put a sticker on them. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll be there. one to doing that. I'll be on my way right now. <laughs> and. Uh, those... They never came back. Those actually.
1: Would have, those would have been probably HSI agents assigned to a, a, a fraud unit, probably in Atlanta. There's a, there's a big office there in, in Atlanta. As a matter of fact, they have a uh, we call a special agent charge office where he runs a, num- a number of resident agent charges uh, offices in this area. So, but that's, that's the interesting thing about you know when they when they form Home Industry is that. You know, customs authority is is, is different than immigration authority. And most people always want to lump them together, and they're really two totally different disciplines. And you know, and, and I know that towards the end of my career, uh, we were pushing, uh, especially when the new president came in. We thought that we would get some ground with him on this. Uh, not so much going back to the old Customs Service and old Immigration Service. But we're, we're too far down the road for that. There's too much money that's been spent. There's it would, it would be. Fiasco trying to go back to where you were, but you know homeland security investigations is under ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Even though they operate almost as that's a, that's a different uh, entity under the under the agency, they're funded through ICE. And so, but ICE is where your real immigration people are. That's where the uh, detention and removal people are, and uh, the people that you see on TV that are going around all these big operations and, and taking the uh, criminal aliens out. That they get so much bad press about they uh, those are the true immigration uh, agents. How you call them? Well, they're a called officers, but they, they work. They do they do investigative work to find these guys. But when the when the actual uh, organized crime part of this is investigated, that falls under HSI. They'll get involved and they'll do the actual crime investigation on all that. And uh, I would like to see you know ICE. At ero enforcement Rural operations the real immigration guys get their own investigators because it's got you know it's basically human trafficking and it's got to really be such a huge uh, uh, situation that they really need to have guys that are are truly are true uh, experts in that field because it's complicated I mean the immigration system court system is a whole different animal it's nothing like the regular u.s court system uh, except that you have judges it's about the always only, only thing thats that's about the same and, and uh, we don't have enough of them. We don't, and so, you, so like I always tell everybody, you know, if, if you if you go to the doctor and and uh, you need brain surgery, you don't want an orthopedist, an orthopedic surgeon <laughs> working on your brain, and vice versa, you don't want a brain specialist working on your or working on your knee. And so, you really need to get. They should. I would encourage them or the border patrol. You know, put those two guys under the same roof. Those two agencies, ICE and the Border Patrol, they do basically the same job. One's doing the interior, one's doing the border and let them have, between them, specific immigration special agents. That's all they focus on. And then go back, like with like HSI, put them back on what U.S. Customs tradition did for years and did better than anybody else, is work smuggling and, and uh, you know large organized international crime. And so, you know, we, people, my last year in Customs, I uh, think it was 2002, every year Customs would put out a, uh, a uh, it was a, uh, Printed uh, booklet and it talked about the budget and we we're still under treasury and uh, and back then okay as under treasury you had U.S. Customs special agents and then you had U.S. Customs inspectors they were the uniform division those guys in the blue uniforms you see when you come to the airports and to the uh, seaports and places like land borders and all and so our last year if I remember this correctly for every dollar that Congress gave us to operate on. We made eighteen dollars, huh. so we were completely we were more than self sufficient, and we were paying we were paying for uh, a lot of other agencies. And so when we formed Homeland Security, that all changed. I mean, we like we like never had money, but then there was so much money that I mean we weren't dealing with detention centers, we weren't you know uh, so, you know arming and 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 moving uh, like the border patrol, and you know they're they're like an army in themselves. It takes a lot of money to keep those guys running. Okay. So you know, once we were. Go ahead. I I gotta ask.
0: I've been sitting here waiting for the opportunity to ask. We were going to take a break, but we we fluffed off this break. So I just want to ask the question: How much of all of this, and most of us get our education from TV, or maybe, heaven forbid, we get to go to a movie, but uh, our how much of all of this was 007 stuff?
1: <laughs> you know, the closest I got to doing 007 stuff was when I was in Baltimore. And uh, cause I worked for a undercover operation there. And as close as you can get to it, we were doing that. And, and somewhat, you know, when I was overseas as well. And I, I really can't talk a lot about that because, like, there's current operations that are going on that, number one, it would be unethical. I don't want to get... Old friends of mine in, in a jam and, uh, and and it's just dangerous, not good for the country. But but uh, the real 007 guys, that's that's the intelligence agency, that's the uh, Central Intelligence Agency. That's their for if, if, if you want to call them a secret agent, you know they mm-hmm. call them operatives. Uh, and the Defense Intelligence Agency and the NSA. I mean, those are the guys, you know. But the thing is, you know, the world has changed so much now. I mean, you know. Homeland Security uh, has to work with CIA. CIA has to work with Homeland Security because the world is so global. It's you know the globalization affects everything that we do. Everything, especially governments and organized crime. I always tell people the best way to, to keep the two separated is remember that the intelligence community uh, and there's you know there's lots of lots of uh, facets of it. The military at the CIA, their job is keeping countries and governments under control and taking them down when they're a problem. To this country what we did as special agents we kept organized crime under control and to try to do our best to keep it from causing our standard of living to fall in this country the two do overlap all the time and so you know 30 or 40 years ago not so much today i mean especially with the internet and the way people can travel they used to i mean what they the travel today compared to what it was 30 or 40 years ago It's a whole different universe. How much,
0: in in the organized crime side of it, how much does that overlap from country to country that it's the same family? I don't even know what you call them. Same family, same organization. Uh, Do they overlap? And does somebody, you know, like we think of the mafia as Italian, so, you know, is it still that way that it's happening in italy and it's and they do it here in the u.s or is it is it more segregated and separated these days
1: you know uh it's just shifted it's just shifted organized crime is bigger and better now than it's ever been and it's just shifted and it's, it went from you know this it, it almost once again it goes back to talk about you know whoever owns whoever has the most money is the one who calls the shots and the uh, the drug cartels. I mean, they're the ones. They're the ones with the most money, and they're the ones who are who have really infiltrated. Not just. And they they, they branched out this off of narcotics. They're into all types of black markets. A lot of people don't realize that you know the in uh, Mexico. I mean, they're controlling the avocado industry right now. That's why their avocados are so high. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I mean, they've they've they've, they've diversified a lot. And, uh, you know, and so we used to ask, where are they? I mean, we we just picture them as these, being these bunch of guys in a and a castle-like facility, a house down in either Colombia or, or Mexico. But yeah, I, I did one of the first controlled deliveries with cocaine uh, in in Russia. And I worked with the FSKN, the Russian DEA, and it was a small amount. It wasn't; it was a, about enough to go inside. It was inside of a baseball that, that our, our agents picked up at a FedEx facility in uh, Memphis. And uh, and so, a long story short, we asked the Russians. It was going to Moscow. We had an address asked them if they were interested in, in delivering this. They said, yes, by all means. So we, they ended up making seven arrests and seven convictions. And, uh, and by the time it was all said and done, and DEA came in and helped us out, and we uh, looked at all the aspects of it, and it we went back to Columbia. I mean, so, and then, and, and now... The biggest problem that that they have in that part of the world, this this just, just, just cause of logistics, is, is uh, opioids, heroin, uh, yeah, the sorry. different uh, products of, because they're, they're close to Afghanistan, where it all comes from, and uh, closer to Afghanistan. But to answer your question, I mean, the you know there's a, uh, the narcotics don't just come to America; they're all in the whole. They're all over the world now. I mean, they and then and, and the the biggest guys, the guys who are calling the shots on that. Are the uh, are the drug cartels in Mexico? I remember years ago we were protecting a guy. He was a uh, he had been involved in. He was a Colombian. He had been a, an engineer for Kellogg, Kellogg, the uh, the, the food company. And uh, this was back in 1997. I guess I was a really pretty new agent, and. Uh, and uh, we were protecting him because he was he was cooperating with uh, Operation Green Ice, which was our, uh, our our money laundering operation. We had an undercover operation going out of Baltimore, and he was going to testify and uh, testify for them in, in open court. So we had him on twenty four hour protection, and and uh, in, in exchange, he was rather than be arrested, he was going to exchange his testimony for being arrested. And, so he and I were talking one night, and, and I was the only guy in the, in the room there that spoke enough Spanish to talk to him. And, and he told me, he said, he said, you know, here's your problem. He said, uh, he said, you, he said, you just think the Colombians are bad. He was part of the, let me think, the Cartagena uh, Cartagena boy. And he said, you just think the Colombians are tough? He said, the Mexicans are taking over. He said, he said, they're savages. He said, you just watch. He said, that, that country is going to change like you've never seen it before. And sure enough, he was right. You know. And so, uh, but like I say, I mean, they not only do they do they uh, do they run the drug industry and avocado industry and the, and the alien slugging, smuggling uh, routes in in Mexico. They they control the government. There's no two ways about it.
0: Interesting, and so many of us have no idea. You know, do we need to have an idea, or do we just? Uh, well, as long as it doesn't affect me other than the price of avocados, I don't guess I care. <laughs> well, you know,
1: we're actually seeing believe it or not, I know this is hard to believe too, we, we're we, we were seeing less violence in this country now, and we're seeing less, and almost simultaneously, we're seeing less uh, drug addiction through education. And, and we've said that for years, and now that we're teaching this uh, to uh, people for years and years, we finally have figured out, okay, you know, methamphetamine is not good for you. Like, what is it I don't uh, the, the, the old meth that you said, I oh, don't what is today. You know, for every every minute you're high on on meth on methamphetamine, you then you're accelerating, for every minute, you're accelerating your life seven minutes. So every year you're on it, you're aging seven years. So obviously that's not good for you. And uh, so, because you can I think people are getting sharper. And, uh, and so, but... The way it does affect you, I mean, it's just uh, you know, if you've ever uh, gotten a few uh, blocks off of uh, Bourbon Street down in New Orleans <laughs> and look at what look at what drugs do to a community, or like I say, I started in Baltimore. Uh, when you go through the uh, the different housing projects that, that I used to go through and, and see what it does to uh, communities like that. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a problem. It really yeah. it's, a, it's a big
0: oh, yeah. problem. And you know, you hit it on the head, though. And and this is like all of our shows, and this is what the station really tries to do with every subject, including what you're talking about, Sandy. Is that we try and try to educate, and we do we do a show called Detailing Addictions with a psychiatrist named Susan Blank, and that's her. She she works with addicts, be they alcoholics or drug or whatever it happens to be. And
1: I was listening to her just before this start I was listening to her. I, I, I need to that, she that's an excellent program. People should listen
0: to that. It really is good. Yeah, she is. And uh we uh we appreciate her being on and uh you know, it's uh all of our shows though we try in some shape, form or fashion to uh do some kind of education you know and uh, sometimes we do it and sometimes we don't but as people you know uh, judges have changed too and there's there's a lot of uh, different disciplines in courts today and we were talking about this uh, uh, yesterday with an attorney uh, that was on detailing addictions and it's a very interesting show how and, you know, instead of just slapping somebody in jail for 30 days or 60 days or whatever and then letting them out, they put them through programs now which have become very effective in in education, and they're having um, success with, uh, you know, with uh, people that are coming out of the programs. Instead of going immediately back on drugs or on alcohol, they decide, you know, I really don't want to do that again. I think I'll pass. With that being said, though, my friend, we're going to have to put the plug in the jug and um, move on down (laughs) the street. This has been very interesting as always, and uh, we appreciate our agent in charge.
1: I I appreciate it as well, and then uh, when I I do run out of stories, uh, I've got some people I want to bring on the program that that you'll find really interesting, and, and we can talk about them next go around, but like I say, there are people just as colorful if not more colorful than me and, and very good, very highly professional and highly distinguished in their field. So uh, something to look forward to.
0: All righty. Sandy, we appreciate it. You're listening to America's Web Radio. We'll be back after this.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.